sermon passage this evening will be from Acts 28, so please turn there with me. Acts 28, beginning in verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when he had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I have had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there is no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you, what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses 
and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the years of age. Jonathan Edwards penned 70 resolutions to guide his life. 70 goals, 70 ambitions for his life that he hoped to aspire to as a disciple of Jesus Christ. He had many gifts and not a few options before him, writes church historian Stephen Nichols. His father and grandfather were ministers, as were uncles and others in the family tree. He had a a first-rate education, one of the finest of the day, so he was well prepared for a future in the halls of the academy, should he so choose. But for the time being, he was a pastor, a young pastor at that, 18 going on 19. He found himself far from his native soil of the Connecticut River Valley in the throes of a church split in a Presbyterian church in New York City. He had been invited to pastor the minority faction somewhere along the docks of the city's harbor. New York City wasn't nearly as busy in 1722 as it is now. The population hovered around just under 10,000. For a young man from the idyllic setting of small town New England, however, it was a place unlike any he had ever seen. Amidst all of this uncertainty and flux, this young man, Jonathan Edwards, needed both a place to stand and a compass for some direction. So he took to writing. He kept a diary and he penned some guidelines, which he came to call his resolutions. And these resolutions would supply both that place for him to stand and a compass to guide him as he made his way. And resolution six sets up our passage tonight perfectly. It says this, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Now bring our series in Acts to a close tonight, and in Acts chapter 28, the, po- the Apostle Paul stands out as a man who lived with all of his might while he had life to point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was ready both in season and out of season. 
And when you stand back and you, you look at Acts chapter 28 as a whole, that really is the challenge that almost puts its finger in our chests tonight for us to be ready in season and out of season, whether we find ourselves on a, a mountaintop tonight or in a dark valley. Whether come rain or come shine, we are to be those making the most of every moment for the sake of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In some uh, circles in, in the church, people pray for God to open doors. Uh, in our church circle, we pray for God to give us opportunities. But my question for us tonight is this. Are we the kind of people who are ready to take the opportunities that God does provide? Are, are, are we like soldiers of Jesus Christ on duty, ready to defend or ready to engage at a second's notice for His honor and for the good of our fellow men? Well, friends, may Paul's example spur us on to be ready in season and out of season for the sake of Christ. Now remember again in Acts chapter 27, the passage we looked at last Sunday night, Paul was caught up in a, a life-threatening storm. He was with other prisoners and they were being uh, led to Rome. Uh, the Lord Jesus had promised him that he would get to Rome and bear witness before Caesar and uh, there was a storm and eventually the ship broke up and so he had to swim to the nearest shore. And as the story continues today, we're going to see number one, in season at Malta and number two, out of season in Rome. So number one, in season at Malta. Look again at verses 1 to 10 of Acts 28. It says this, it says, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea, justice and justice was the name of what they called a, a goddess who would dispense justice. Justice has not allowed him to live. Verse 5. He, Paul, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and so, saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island called Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So despite the fact that Paul had just found himself in a life-threatening storm, and despite the fact that Paul was headed to Rome, Paul took the kingdom opportunity that was 
before him. I mean, could any of us blamed Paul for pressing pause on ministry at this point in his life? He had just survived the fourth shipwreck of his life. He'd gone 14 days without food, and again, he knew that he was only passing through at Malta. Jesus had assured him in Acts chapter 23 verse 11, take courage for as, of you, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And an angel of the Lord had confirmed that to him in the last passage that we looked at last Sunday night. So if ever there was a, a time to press pause on ministry, this was surely it. But instead, Seeing that he had the respect of the natives in their false assumption that he was a god and hearing about Publius's dad and how ill he was, Paul got to work for Jesus. He laid his hands on him and he healed him in Jesus' name so that in no time all of the islanders with diseases made their way to Paul and they too were cured In Jesus' name. You see that no opportunity to minister for the Lord Jesus Christ would get past Paul. His his mindset was exactly like his master who said, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And friends, we need to allow the Apostle Paul's mindset here to challenge us to do the same because the truth is the world, the flesh, and the devil will always, always, always give us reasons not to minister in Jesus' name, not to work for Jesus. And so the world will say, Jesus is great for you, but all those around you are not interested, so keep your Jesus to yourself. It will say, you can't know that your Christianity is true. And so if it makes you happy, then that's great for you, but don't fob it off onto anyone else. And it will say, all this talk of repentance is so offensive. It sounds so intolerant. And so keep that to the four walls of your church, or at least saw the edges off the gospel to make it more palatable for the world. And your flesh will say, You're not an evangelist. And so don't work the works of him who has sent you because he probably hasn't sent you in the first place. It'll say, if you share the gospel here, then uh, you might lose your job. And after all, the Bible commands you to provide for your family, so just keep Jesus on the DL in this environment. Or it'll say, "You're, you're retired You've served the Lord faithfully your whole life. Now is the time to put your feet up and become dignified in your old age. And the devil will say to you, you're too lukewarm to be effective for Jesus. Get fired up first and then seek to win others to Christ. It's not the right time now. Share Jesus when you get to university. Share Jesus when you start your career. Tomorrow, there is always tomorrow. But friends, whether in season 
or out of season, we are to make the best use of the time for our Lord Jesus Christ. I recently heard a a retired pastor say this, who is very, very busy. He said this, he said, I want you to know that hard work in the will of God must never cease. I don't know, I, I don't know how old you are. I don't know how long you've been a Christian. I don't know what you've done to serve the Lord in the past, but I want to tell you, as long as you are on planet Earth, as long as you are breathing, there is a work for you to do to serve God. No Christian can be a mere spectator of the kingdom of God. We have got to have our shoulder to the plow and be in the field serving the Lord. And as long as there is one unconverted person on planet earth, there is a work to be done for the kingdom of God. Now perhaps you're you're listening to this and you know, truth be told, that you have wasted a great deal of time. And that you have been a spectator in the kingdom of God, and that you have prayed perhaps for open doors or for opportunities to come, and you haven't walked through the doors when they've flung wide open before you, and you haven't taken the opportunities when they've come your way, perhaps even on a silver platter handed to you. But friend, what I want to say to you tonight is wallowing in regret will not make you ready in season and out of season. Wallowing in regret will not motivate you to get your shoulder to the plow. All it will do is pin you to the floor. But the truth is that Jesus has not commissioned you to reach the floor for Jesus. He's commissioned you to reach the world for Jesus. And so instead, confess the time that you have wasted. Fully believing That when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and then get on your bike for him. Start by meeting the needs of those who are around you, both the physical needs like Paul does here in in Jesus' name and or the spiritual needs of those around him as he has done in the book of Acts so consistently since his conversion in Acts chapter 9. And so very practically, let's say, for example, uh, on a Sunday morning or a a Sunday evening, uh, you you notice that there's an unbeliever sat on your row and the closing hymn is sung and the benediction is read and we, we take our seats together. Don't think to yourself, friend, oh, look at He's just heard the gospel. Hugh's just preached the gospel. Surely that's enough. No, take the opportunity and say to him or to her, what did you think of that message that you just heard today? Uh, Was there anything unclear in that sermon that you you didn't quite understand? And if not, then what is holding you back from believing the message that you heard today? You know, in the year 1815, a a Scottish couple went on holiday to Geneva, and the name of the husband was uh, Robert Haldane. He was sat on a a park bench one day, and uh, sat beside him were some students at a, a theological college who were training for the ministry. 
And the rumor back then was that this uh, seminary or Bible college or whatever you call it was so opposed to anything uh, even remotely evangelical that the students there would blush even at the name of Jesus Christ. And so Haldane got speaking to these students and he started to meet with them. And uh, after some time, he began to walk them through the book of Romans. And in a very short amount of time, these Theological students had been converted, and not long after that, they were used of God to be the means of a mighty revival in Geneva. And as the revival was all ablaze in the city, one of these lecturers uh, underneath, uh, under whom they were sitting wrote to Haldane, and, it, and he asked him, what has gotten into these students? What have you done to these theological students. Think about that. A forest fire of revival was started because a conversation was had on a park bench by a guy who was just on his holidays. And so tomorrow, Gloria and I and and the girls, we leave for France. I want you all to be on your best behavior while I'm away. That was just a joke. But pray for me. Pray for me that God might give me opportunities that might do great good in the world and in a place that needs the gospel so very much. So that was Paul in season at Malta. But I want us to see second out of season at Rome. Because at long last Paul did arrive in Rome. Just as Jesus had promised him back in Acts chapter 23 verse 11. And just as the angel had reconfirmed to him in Acts chapter 27. And some of the believers in Rome, whom you remember Paul had never met before, came out to meet him. And they walked him from where he was all the way into the great city of Rome. And these were the believers who had received what we know today is the letter called Romans, three years before this moment in Acts chapter 28. But then Paul met his kinsmen according to the flesh, not long after he arrived in Rome, and they were curious as to who he was and what his message was all about, and so they gave him a, uh, a, a, they gave him a hearing, and we read in verse 23, when they, uh, the fellow Jews, had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, those words there 
in verse 28, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They might sound uh, somewhat familiar to you because the Apostle Paul had said something very, very similar after he'd been rejected in synagogue after synagogue after synagogue on his missionary journeys. But that didn't stop Paul from welcoming all who came to him, both Jews and Gentiles, because even though a a partial hardening had come upon the Jews of Paul's day, Paul would not wash his hands of any who came to him seeking answers. And verse 24 tells us that some did believe. And verses 30 and 31 tell us that Paul welcomed all who came to him. And he proclaimed to the Jews and to the Gentiles who came to him, we're told here, the kingdom of God. That is the the inbreaking of the reign and rule of God in and through his chosen king, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And we taught, and we're told here that he taught them about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, that Jesus was and is a man with two natures, fully man and fully God. And that Jesus is the one promised to Adam and Eve, the one who would come and crush the serpent's head, the one promised to Abraham who would bless all of the nations of the world. And the one promised to Moses who would be a a prophet raised up from among his his brothers. The one promised to, to David who would sit on his throne and would be a better shepherd king than David could ever have dreamed of being himself. The one promised to Isaiah, the the suffering servant, who would be the man of sorrows and the son of man, and who would bear our griefs and bear our sins and make many to be accounted righteous. So that whether in, uh, in season in Malta, Or out of season in Rome, Paul was resolved to do the same thing, live with all of his might in pointing sinners, Jewish sinners and Gentile sinners, to the Savior who makes all things new, the Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, let me end with two challenges that the example of the Apostle Paul gives to us here in these verses. Challenge number one, Value your calling more than your life. Value your calling more than your life. Another way of saying that would be put gospel proclamation above self-preservation. It's amazing. Church history tells us that uh, Paul was released after this imprisonment in Rome. And then he fulfilled his ambition of preaching Christ in Spain. Uh, And then he got himself arrested all over again. And it was in that second imprisonment in Rome that Paul appeared before the emperor Nero and was beheaded under Nero in in roughly the years 24 or at least to 27 AD. And you remember he said to the Ephesian elders as they all knelt down on the beach together in Acts chapter 20, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And apparently the Apostle Paul wasn't joking when he said that. 
And may we do the same. Challenge number two, view this day in light of the last day. View this day in light of the last day. Friends, the surest way to waste our lives is to live as, as though this life is all there is. And the surest way not to waste our lives is to remember that there is a life to come. And the reason that Paul didn't waste his life, the reason that Paul was able to stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and the ministry that he'd received all through until the moment that he was beheaded, is because he kept eternity at the very center of his focus and vision. It is almost certain that the last epistle that the Apostle Paul ever wrote was the letter that we know today as 2 Timothy. And in that letter, he wrote this to his protege in the faith, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's what it looks like. And that is what it sounds like to live this day in light of the last day. One pastor wrote these words. He wrote, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the northeast of America five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. They live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first, this pastor writes, when I read it, I thought it might be a joke a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ on the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest, don't buy it. Don't waste your life. Friends, Paul didn't waste his life. And now he is in the presence of the Lord that he served with all of his might. And I don't want to waste my life either. Instead, I want to live with all of my might as long as I have life. And I want to be ready in season and out of season to point men and women to the Lord Jesus Christ until I hear those words from his very mouth, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master you were faithful in a little, and I will set you over much. Amen and amen.
Amen. Well, we're going to...